Available at farmnewsnow.com or wherever you find your favorite podcast. Agriculture through a modern lens. This is the AgriPod with Alice McFarland. On this episode, the work stoppage at CP Rail lasted for two days before the two sides agreed to let the dispute enter into binding arbitration. There is plenty of relief that CP's service resumed without having to go through the lengthy process of back-to-work legislation for the 3,000 engineers, conductors, train and yard workers. Greg Northey is the Vice President of Corporate Affairs with Pulse Canada, and he'll tell us how long it will take to clear up the backlog of products shipped by rail, and also explain that there is the potential for another rail dispute late in the 2022 calendar year. COVID-19 and now inflation are changing the average Canadian's food purchasing habits. Francis Parisien is the vice president of Nielsen IQ, a leading retail and consumer intelligence firm, which breaks down enormous amounts of shopper data into trends. And while it is comparatively small right now, he'll explain a growing trend is online grocery shopping. After the break, Greg Northey. Digging into the topics that matter to you. The AgriPod with Alice McFarlane. The ag sector was breathing a collective sigh of relief as CP trains were moving after a two-day work stoppage. Greg Northey is the Vice President of Corporate Affairs with Pulse Canada. Greg, uh, the CP Rail engineers, conductors and yard employees returned to work. A CP and the Teamsters Union decided to let their... Outstanding issues be settled by binding arbitration, which was uh, very good news. CP was calling for binding uh, arbitration uh, a couple of weeks ago. That was their the the route that they wanted to take, and they kept offering it to the to the union. So uh, it was clearly one side uh, was was seeking that, and um, likely the government was was putting you know the pressure on both sides to, to to take that route so that they wouldn't have to bring bring in legislation. Likely legislation would have force them into binding arbitration anyway. So this was probably the outcome. Uh, and ultimately, it's good that it didn't have to go through a legislative process because it would have taken longer. Can you explain to us how much of an impact uh, even just a two-day work stoppage has on the rail sector? Yeah, well, so, you know, general rule of thumb is that every day uh, the network's out, you know, it takes around four, four days, five days to, to recover. Uh, the reality is that CP was winding down their operations, you know, as of last Thursday. So um, it's going to it's going to take a while and, uh, you know, a week, up to two weeks, potentially to, to probably get right back up to speed. A lot of that will depend on CP. They were, you know, the orderly wind down allowed them to position trains and, and things in, in the best position to, to allow for. Uh, for a quick recovery, so you know it might be quicker, but obviously we're gonna we're gonna feel a little this for 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 quite a few days. Yes. Any speculation about where a CP might concentrate their resources? I know the cattle feeders were very concerned about getting corn to where it's needed. Could that be one of the priority areas? Yeah, I think they're 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 probably uh, organizing themselves. Um, when they did wind down to, to, to target things like that, those places where there was a high um, a high pressure to, to, to get things very quickly. Uh, intermodals as well, likely, because uh, just containers coming in and out and, and their blockage uh, at the ports is probably going to be a focus as well. 
And also, I heard that there were 17 container ships at the Port of Vancouver. Does that sound right? Yeah, there's a, there's a lot. It's a huge buildup of container ships out there. Yeah. So does it take that long, or is this just a special case? Yeah, this, this oh, well, right now we're facing really uh, large disruption in the container supply chain either way. So, it, you know, those vessels have been out there for a while, and we've been facing these container issues for, you know, almost two years now. So um, it's, uh, it, it's a bit of a symptom of our overall issues within that particular supply chain. Overall, grain movement has been described as uh, very disappointing, I guess, to be kind. Uh, what is the latest from the Ag Transport Coalition? Yeah, so both railways, and obviously up until this, this disruption, uh, were definitely on the upswing as far as performance. Um, you know, we, we had uh, historically bad service through January or January, February, uh, early March, and, and we're seeing, seeing an upswing now where they're, we're starting to get to a level that was good. I mean, this is the caveat, obviously, is that uh, demand has been incredibly low. We've seen um, just, you know, to put it in perspective, I think week 32, there was around uh, between the two railways, 3,000, 4,000 cars ordered by the sector. Last year at this time, that was 9,000. So, you know, the demand is just is just very, very low. So, you know, it shouldn't be a surprise to see good service, but we definitely struggle to see good service even in the face of poor demand. Should things be running smoothly until the end of the crop year, or are we going to see the railways uh, have to move other products like oil? And are we seeing more oil move now that than we might have seen a few months ago? Yeah, I don't know if there there's more. I think that that, that demand is there. I think it's likely. Um, I think it would be fairly steady. Grains, you know, clearly low demand and, and will likely decline. Uh, the other commodities are uh, commodities as far as outside of grain. Um, th- th- there is still a high demand for them. So it's likely going to be a focus uh, for the railways. And, and I think our, our, you know, obviously we're just coming off this labor issue, but for the rest of the year, we've got a current labor negotiation happening on CN for the signal maintainers uh, that expired last December. So, don't know if there'll be more labor unrest for the rest of the year. Plus, there's 11 other negotiated agreements with unions on both railways that are expiring this year. So, you know, it's um, while we're kind of happy to see this one end quickly and, um, you know, we're hoping to have a big crop for the fall, we may be facing uh, similar kind of concerns uh, later in the year as well. Greg, do you see that there's being any additional push to declaring rail service essential, or or do you see that um, a major labor disruption before we get that um, on that track? Yeah, well, I mean, this talking about essential service for for, for rail or, or supply chains is is becoming a larger debate. I would say there's a lot of different groups calling for it. Um, you know, ultimately. Entering into something like that would require, you know, significant change to our labor code. And so, um, you know, it, it, it's probably good that it's debated. It's good that it's recognized that these issues are, um, are there. Uh, but in the immediate term, you know, there's, there's got to be just, a, a, I think, a more focused effort by, by governments and, and those in the supply chain, whether it's employers or employees, that, you know, we can't have these kind of instructions and that, Ultimately, you know, things like binding arbitration maybe need to be triggered uh, sooner. 
Greg Northey is the Vice President of Corporate Affairs with Pulse Canada. After the break, Francis Parisienne. Digging into the topics that matter to you. The AgriPod with Alice McFarlane. Francis Parisienne is the Vice President of Nielsen IQ, a consumer intelligence firm that examines trends in shopping. So first of all, let's start with Online grocery shopping, obviously something that we've seen uh, an increased use of during the pandemic. That's actually now 4% of the market. It was less than 2 at the beginning of the pandemic. So that market is still very slow at 4%, but it doubled over like the last two years. And we see like massive investments by Sobeys. Same with Loblaws. They publicly said they were investing close to a billion dollars and making this more available. Walmart, you can buy grocery online at close to 95% of their stores. These big groups are making the bet that it's going to continue growing. So with food inflation hitting consumer budgets, have you seen a move towards uh, grocery discount stores? No frills, fresh go, Walmart, they're gaining momentum in the market. They're gaining market share. They represent right now close to 45% of dollar sales in Canada. That's grown close to a point versus a year ago. We're coming with a new analysis shortly. The gains are going to be even more massive. They're doing better than your conventional stores. And conventional stores would be IGA, would be Sobeys, Loblaws, more expensive stores. So they're gaining momentum and market share in the vast majority of departments, they're getting and prepared food, refrigerated dairy categories, confectionery, odd beverages, doing very well in Canada right now. Now, the stay-at-home trend uh, certainly flourished during the pandemic. Do you see that continuing in the future? People have reduced the number of visits they make to bars and restaurants, so they're making more drinks at home. You see there's like new habits that are being built by Canadians. And it's not only Canadians. It's very similar in the U.S. People tend to go out less. People tend to have friends over and family. So you see like cocktail mixes and so on uh, increasing. And we treat ourselves. Canadians right now are looking for ways to just forget the reality. So they're just splurging on candies and snacks and so on. Now, I've read a few articles now about uh, changes in promotional sales. So do you see the influence of promotional sales on the decline? 50% of your items would be sold on promotion. That is actually dropping down right now. So it is concerning for a number of brands, of retailers, but it's also putting pressure on consumers right now. And what's happening right now is that the elasticity that we were observing before the pandemic simply don't compute anymore. So it's forcing retailers and manufacturers right now to revise the way they do promotion. People are reacting differently right now in the increased like price increase that we're seeing in the market. So it's having impacts on all categories. So it is forcing us as a company to work with our partners to like come up with good pricing strategy to actually help the manufacturers cover their costs, drive sales, not impact their categories. And we're also seeing the war in Ukraine certainly having an impact on food inflation. Uh, Francis, do you have any sense of how long that might continue? 
Ukraine grows a lot of grain, and that's where a lot of European countries will actually pick up their grain. I think Europeans will pay more. I think food inflation will be worse in Europe than it is here. I think we're at the beginning of, uh, I think it will continue increasing. Gas prices have a big impact on packaging. If you've got like plastic packaging, you're screwed. So it's, I think we're at the beginning of very tough months, unfortunately. Francis Parisian is with Nielsen IQ. It's time for the Agriculture News and Review for the week of March 21st, 2022. While the labour dispute between CP Rail and Teamsters Canada Rail Conference uh, is going into binding arbitration, meaning 3,000 conductors, engineers and train and yard workers were back on the job, the railway said binding arbitration would let it resume its essential services for its customers and the North American supply chain. Malting barley contracts are being offered with not only a higher price, but in some cases an act of God clause. Market analyst Mike Jubinville says the feed barley price was also very good following last year's drought-reduced crop at $7.50 to $8 a bushel. He said he is watching how the offshore markets are developing, including the Black Sea region. Highly pathogenic avian influenza, or HPAI, was discovered in a wild bird in southern Ontario, bringing the number of provinces with positive cases to six. The Canadian Food Inspection Agency reported the influenza was detected in a sample taken from a red-tailed hawk that was found in the Waterloo region. The U.S. Department of Agriculture confirmed HPAI in 17 states since the middle of January, with cases involving a total of more than 13 million commercial laying chickens, broiler chickens, and turkeys. CFIA is not allowing poultry imports from restricted zones in eight U.S. states. Canadian potatoes heading south of the border again under certain conditions. U.S. Department of Agriculture said imported table stock potatoes from PEI and the seed potatoes used to produce them must originate from fields not known to be infested with potato wart. Shipments must be officially inspected and certified, meeting USDA requirements. Statistics show the loss of market cost PEI's potato industry more than $25 million. Farmers continue to face challenges of supply disruption related to fertilizer, parts and crop protection products. After a 25% increase in the fall of 2021, BASF Canada increased the price of its glufosinate ammonium-containing products. According to the company, this price increase is necessary to support the supply plan for these products this year. BASF is not alone in price hikes, as many of its competitors have been dealing with similar challenges of ingredient supplies and costs on top of manufacturing and supply chain issues. Western Canadian farmers receive nearly $33 in return through varietal improvements for every dollar they invested in wheat breeding. A study initiated by the Canadian Wheat Research Council last year wanted to quantify the benefits of wheat breeding investments by Western Canadian producers over the past 27 years. Fred Grieg, who chairs the committee, said the study indicates that farmer investment in public breeding programs is working and providing substantive returns to farmers. The potash sector in Saskatchewan hit all-time record highs in 2021, with production reaching 14.2 million tonnes and the value of sales hitting $7.8 billion. 
Energy and Resources Minister Bronwyn Iyer said over the past 15 years, the Saskatchewan potash sector committed more than $30 billion of investment in mine expansions and new products, and it directly employs roughly 6,000 people. A potential clash over hormone-treated Canadian beef is emerging as a sticking point as free trade talks between Canada and Britain formally began. Britain and Canada have already negotiated an interim trade agreement to replace the broader comprehensive economic and trade agreement that Canada negotiated with the European Union. Britain's decision to leave the EU after its Brexit referendum meant that it was forced out of CETA at the end of 2020. The organic industry will use some new federal funding to promote sustainability and growth for the sector. A coordinated governance structure will be created across three organizations to develop a funding model that will be able to deliver the services required to support growth in the industry. If you like what you've heard, you can rate and review wherever you get your podcasts and make sure to subscribe to AgriPod with Alice McFarlane for more weekly episodes. The AgriPod is produced by Colby Heiss with host and CJVR Agriculture Director Alice McFarlane and is a division of the Jim Pattison Broadcast Group. Available wherever you find your favorite podcast and at farmnewsnow.com.